0: Hello. To general approval, the recent levelling up white paper called for more elected mayors and more devolution. Equally reflecting a broad consensus, the integration white paper called for better joining up between health and local government. Most of the leaders of integrated care systems that I speak to talk about the importance of place level accountability and coordination. So what can we learn from the part of England that's already operating with devolved powers? that already has joint leadership of health and care and well-established working at place level? These are some of the questions I'll be posing to today's guest on Health on the Line. New ideas, big, big debates. debates, meeting the changemakers' transforming services. I'm Matthew Taylor and this is Health on the Line, brought to you by the NHS Confederation. I'm delighted to welcome to Health on the Line, Sir Richard Leese, who was elected to Manchester City Council as a Labour councillor in 1984, became leader in 1996, and just a couple of months ago stepped down from the council after 38 years of service. Sir Richard was one of the signatories to the city region's health devolution deal with government back in 2015. And Richard is now chair designate for the Greater Manchester ICB. So Richard, welcome. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, uh, I'm very happy to be here and to talk about the journey we've been on in Greater Manchester.
0: So let's just start with the big shift that's happened in your life. It must have been a, a real wrench to leave the council after 38 years, but you've made a kind of bigger shift, which is really from focusing primarily on local government to focusing on, on health. What, what lay behind that decision, Richard?
1: Well, I could probably go back more than a, a decade within uh, the city of Manchester and uh, Greater Manchester to a recognition that if we we're going to address uh, some of the fundamental problems we've faced, really going back to the collapse of our traditional uh, industries, that we needed a different approach to public service delivery, and particularly a different approach to public service delivery for those people in greatest need. And that includes health need amongst a range of other needs. And that is that services, instead of being delivered on Massive national programs being delivered in silos needed to be built around people, their families, their communities, the places they live. The public service reform was going to be an absolute necessity in order to address deep-seated underlying problems across Greater Manchester. And and that is what led us on on the journey. Uh, The reason we wanted health devolution was not to run hospitals. It was to be able to join up health services with other Uh, council services with job center plus with policing with the activity for voluntary and community organizations to try and address
0: the root causes rather than simply the symptoms of the issues we faced but still i in the end the health system and the local government system are different and and you've made this choice um to to focus your energies primarily on health going forward, the ICB. And I'm just interested in why is you you, you you decided that you're going to make health the focus of your next few years of activity.
1: Well, I think if you look at the responsibilities of the ICB within the ICS, those responsibilities around population health, about tackling health inequalities, of uh, having regard to the social and economic contribution of the health service, as, as well as uh, of course meeting constitutional standards being uh, effective delivering uh, good clinical service services it appeared to me to be a, a real opportunity to get really deeply into uh, those issues i've been concerned with actually probably going back uh, thirty years and to ensure as far as i can that the health service is making its full contribution to that wider agenda
0: yeah and i think it's a very welcome element of the appointment of Chief um, executives and chairs in ICs is that we are seeing quite a lot of people who have strong local government background, and I think that's really important. Partly because, for reasons we'll get into, there are some issues of 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 the credibility of all of this uh, to uh, what's the reform in the health service to people in local government. But l- let's let's try to 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 open up exactly how things work first in, in Greater Manchester. So. I mean this whole area of ICSs is, is an area I've described as as one of ambiguous complexity it's not only complex but it's also inherently ambiguous in terms of ways in which different things overlap so I, I tend to think of this in terms of systems so that's the ICS level greater manchester then of places which tend in a metropolitan area like yours to be the 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 the, the, the metropolitan borough councils and then the third part is collaboratives. Uh, we're speaking, you and I, the day before Secretary of State, I think, is going to make a big speech about collaboratives. So the third part is the way in which parts of the health service are coming together in horizontal and vertical collaboratives. So in terms of that, th- those three pieces, uh, Richard, the system, the place, and the collaboratives, how does that, how does that work in Greater Manchester?
1: Well, first of all, I think about it, if anything, the other way around. And thinking about it the other way around is quite important. And I have another spatial le- uh, level, which is the the neighbourhood, the, uh, perhaps not the really local. And most of Greater Manchester is operating on neighbourhoods of thirty to 50,000 people, uh, large enough in order to be able to deliver a full range of uh, community uh, t- uh, services, but small enough to have real contacts with communities within that area. Place, the local authority area comes next. And uh, what you've described as the system level, the Greater Manchester uh, uh, level, is uh, comes at the end of looking at that. And it's what uh, draws things together across the broader template. Collaboratives can operate at any level. They can operate at the Greater Manchester level, or they can operate at a, a neighbourhood level. But I think building up from neighbourhoods to the system-wide is really really important and of course it's uh, the opposite of the way that the uh, NHS traditionally uh, uh, does things because it, it does tend to be a very top down uh, model so uh, building up from the bottom is important and then it is what are we trying to address at that neighborhood uh, uh, level and yes we want people to have fast access to services when when they're ill but it is you know the issues we've been successful in it is tack- uh, smoking cessation it's school Uh, school readiness, it's getting people back into uh, work, it is those things that really do start to deal with the social determinants, not just the symptoms of poor health.
0: So tell me about the the configuration of the ICP and the ICB in Greater Manchester. So the the kind of way I've tended to think about this is that the ICP sets the strategy for health as a whole, recognising the Social determinants, the wider public service determinants of health, and then, it, as it were, devolves the health elements of those broader strategies to the ICB, which which oversees the health component of those uh, strategies. Which then, in turn, in a sense, commissions, although not in the kind of hard edge commissioning way that we have had in the past, but it, it commissions the services that are required from those collab, those provider collaboratives is that is that how it looks to you um,
1: well I think you said earlier on it's uh, it's inevitably a complex system it would be slightly more complicated than uh, that and uh, it's absolutely the case that we would see the, the the partnership board as being the uh, the strategy that's where the, the overall Greater Manchester strategy is designed but even then, we would expect that to be built on the ten locality plans uh, that each uh, local authority area uh, has. So again, that's a bottom-up exercise rather than a, a top-down exercise. Uh, in terms of uh, delivery and where delivery the deliveries devolve to, uh, some of it will be to the uh, individual trusts. Some of it will be to the provider collaborative that they are all uh, party to. Uh, a big chunk will be to locality boards, which will bring together at a local authority level, local authorities with health and other partners. And of course, that is where we join up local authority budgets and particularly uh, social care budgets with health budgets. And that's really important part of the the mechanism. So we are in the process of establishing locality boards, very much uh, with the aim of them being local authority led because it's councils that are the leaders of of place, but uh, on a genuine partnership basis. So that local partnership... Uh, is just as important, if not more important, than the Greater Manchester Partnership.
0: So how do you, Richard, in this system, how do you avoid what appears to be excessive bureaucracy or kind of confusions of roles that you've got decision-making at the locality level, decision-making at the place level, decision-making at the system level, decision-making in the health part of the system, decision-making in the broader kind of partnership body does this feel when you're in the middle of it all that it all works reasonably well and that people understand it all or is there a sense that I hear from sadly you know many people which is that already there's a sense that the ICS structures have a tendency to generate quite a lot of bureaucracy and confusion
1: I I think there is a risk around that but I think it's also the case in Greater Manchester that Uh, We're not uh, starting from scratch. We're not saying, right, we've got this new system and all this guidance, we're going to set up a a new system. Uh, This is very much building on what we've been doing now, really, uh, for seven or eight years, although uh, formal devolution only began in uh, 2016. Actually, work on it probably went back to 2012, 2013. So we're building on a lot of practice. that has been established, well-established, uh, in Greater Manchester, and in some cases, very, very mature structures. So that's the first thing. I think the second thing is we're not over-complicating the uh, rules. We're trying to minimise the requirements of the uh, the constitutional arrangements at a Greater Manchester level to leave more flexibility at a local level. But then there do need to be rules. So we need schemes of uh, uh, reservation and delegation, for example, that allow people to get on and do things, not that stop them from Uh, doing things. And that's something we are still
0: working through. But that is doable. And where is the chat? I mean, my perception, and and I'm going to kind of parade some prejudices here, Richard, but, you know, my perception of Greater Manchester is that, you know, you've been working together for many years, all one political party in terms of the kind of leadership of the the councils. Um, Everyone seems to be kind of meeting each other in different contexts, day in, day out. And that's great in many ways, the quality of the relationships, the continuity that you've described. But the danger, I guess, is a certain amount of cosiness. And where is the challenge, would you say, in this? Because part of, it seems to me, Richard, part of what has to happen with ICS is is we have to have a, a bit more challenge to the health service. Well,
1: If you, if you want to go back through uh, uh, the history at the time that we uh, established the Combined Authority, in Greater Manchester, and that certainly underpinned a lot of the work since. And at that time, of the 10 councils, five were Labour, three were Liberal Democrat, two were Conservative. We've very rarely been all Labour uh, in, in Greater Manchester. And as well as being able to work across geographies, we've also been able to work across uh, political divide as well in terms in in common interest when we did the uh, devolution uh, deal there was a conservative leader and there was a, a liberal democrat leader uh, signed up to the devolution deal and uh, there is only one non-labor council at the, at, the, at the moment but again they are bolton conservative but they're fully part of the uh, arrangements for greater manchester as well so we we have been able to uh, do that uh, if you look at the analysis of the first five years of devolution in Greater Manchester, where in terms of population health, and if you make comparisons on population health with uh, uh, national comparisons, that uh, we improve pretty much everything at a faster rate than it was happening nationally. Of course, population health work takes a long time to sink into what's happening in the, the clinical end of the spectrum, but you no, know, early. Uh, uh, Improvements in early years can often take 20, 30 years to come, come through, but we were making those, those real improvements. Uh, I think one of the faults within the system in Greater Manchester, it was a partnership, it was consensus, and we didn't have that uh, challenge. And I think one of the things that the uh, ICB ICS allows us to do is to introduce that level of challenge into the system, but challenge with authority,
0: well, that's interesting challenge with authority. Let, let, let's delve into that because, I mean, one of the things I've been saying, uh, Richard, is that I, I think it's important to protect ICBs from getting too involved in day-to-day performance management or intervention when things aren't working in the health service. Because what I think ICBs should really focus on above all else is this challenge to achieve those things which which we've been talking about for 25 more years and we haven't achieved so the, these are three interrelated shifts the first is from a system that incentivizes activity to a system that incentivizes outcomes secondly from a system that meets demand to a system that meets need which is at the heart of course of tackling health inequalities uh, and then thirdly this kind of shift of resources proportionately, not absolutely but proportionally from acute and upstream into community primary prevention and public health. Now, we've been talking about these shifts, but we haven't accomplished them. And, and my my argument is that if ICBs could focus more than anything else on achieving those shifts, then we might actually be able to do it. But if ICBs get weighed down and in the end start to feel like health authorities, uh, then the likelihood is we're kind of business as usual.
1: Uh, I, I, I think I've made two comments on that uh, Matthew. First of all, I think uh, for any system, uh, we need to be in the business of solving our own problems rather than uh, expecting somebody to come from outside uh, to solve them uh, for us. And I, I can look over the uh, again the last six, seven years and just looking at two pretty fundamental problems within the acute sector of basically failing uh, uh, hospitals and they were very clearly uh, failing. Um, that as a system, we weren't very good at intervening to support those systems, to improve them. But ultimately, the solutions were found from inside. Uh, NHSI, as it was uh, then, couldn't solve those problems either. And the ultimate solutions came from within the system rather than from uh, outside the system. Now, uh, clearly, that's going to be replicated at different scales all over the system. We have to take responsibility for sorting out our own problems. So... Uh, there are issues around the provision of uh, uh, some procedures. And, uh, and again, I've had the conversation with the chair of, and the chief executive of our uh, provider acute provider uh, collaborative. These are problems we fail, failed to solve for years, but so actually it's now the provider collaborative's job to resolve those issues and make sure we do it do it right. So I think taking responsibility within the system is absolutely crucial. And I think the ICB does have a job in making sure that we do take responsibility within the system. The other point is that it, it is getting upstream, as, you, uh, as uh, you've described. It's absolutely uh, right because uh, it, it is about managing demand. And that's, uh, again, it's got to be pretty fundamental that we do manage demand. But I think we, we need to take a different view about the role of health in doing that. So, for example, being able to do a knee or hip operations uh, actually relatively early on rather than waiting to the point where people can barely walk. So being able to do it when they're able to sustain a relatively normal life and, and be able to do, you know, go to work and do other things is a preventative uh, act rather than a last-minute act. Uh, there are things we've got, for example, where... Uh, care homes have got video links into uh, general hospitals. So if somebody has a fall, they can get triaged by video through the acute acute sector. So I think we need to bear in mind that within this, it's not necessarily moving resources from one part of the system to another part of the system. Uh, quite a lot of this is getting the existing parts of the system to do things differently.
0: No, well, I absolutely agree with that, Richard. And And I think that there's a, a lack of clarity sometimes about the different rationales for horizontal and vertical uh, collaboratives. It, It feels to me as though horizontal collaboratives, particularly acute collaboratives, the test of them is the distribution of resources. So horizontal collaboratives should enable us to use our resources more effectively by configuring services so that we use staff, we use expertise, we use capital investment in the best way. Now, The challenge there, of course, is that is going to mean that places don't necessarily have the full range of services in every one of their, in in each place. And I'd be interested, and a a question there is, is whether the politicians will back the health service if it has to make those decisions around configuration, which might be good for the system, good for the patient ultimately, but might mean places losing some part of that kind of full offer. And of course, places always want to have the kind of full... Uh, NHS offer. To, to what extent do you are you confident that your collaboratives will be able to make those kind of brave decisions about the most effective use of resources?
1: Uh, I think to a certain extent, we, we passed that point in Greater Manchester a number of uh, years ago and have made uh, some of those decisions about, uh, I suppose, those real specialist services where you simply cannot effectively provide them all over the place. You have to reduce the uh, number of uh, locations and for some of those it's uh, uh, politically it's a relatively uh, simple question is that uh, for your population do you want them to go to a hospital nearby or do you want them to live and that's a really quite powerful uh, uh, argument so and I think it, as long as it is justified and explained properly I think politicians will buy uh, buy into that. Uh, there's probably been a bigger issue with clinicians actually about their willingness to see services go to uh, uh, other places but uh, it's an example that again it came from the chair of the provider collaborative of uh, a, a significant number of vascular cases being moved from one hospital to another in a different trust and uh, you know, five years ago that would have caused a complete uproar amongst clinicians never mind amongst uh, uh, politicians now it's seen as being a very rational way of being able to do, and this is about volume work, being able to do volume work in a safe way in the COVID e- environment, and so a lot of this is about proper case-making, it's about proper evidence, and it's about taking people uh, with you. And in those cases, it's making sure that the people who might get if upset, the clinicians, are part of the decision-making, not simply having it done to them.
0: Yeah, no, that's a very important point, and I, 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 I'm not going to resist the temptation to to uh, test to help with you that you uh, share the confederations view that it's really important that we rein in the secretary of state's powers over reconfiguration because those difficult choices locally I mean it, it's hard and it takes courage to do it to do it and then find that the reconfiguration is rejected by the secretary of state is not going to be helpful is it
1: uh, no, it's not going to be uh, help, helpful. And I, I think that there are some principles about how we want to design services. Collaborate, collaboration, I think the move to collaboration is really, really uh, important. Distributed leadership is important. It goes back to uh, uh, an issue you raised earlier about are oh, the rules going to get in the way of people doing things? Well, not if you have properly distributed leadership. Co-des- co-design, co-production, absolutely uh, crucial. And of course, uh, when it comes to uh, clinical elements that patients need to be part of, the the lived experience needs to be part of that co-design as well. Uh, I think fairly fundamental for us, and it's something we've been working on now for five or six years, is uh, the strength-based or asset-based approach that we uh, we start from the point of view that people can do rather than people can't uh, can't do. So there there are going to be some principles that underpin the approach that uh, we take, and the rules have to fit in with those principles.
0: Now, I'm really glad you said that, Richard, because one of the pieces of work which we're growing rapidly at the Confederation is around collaboration. So it's around collaboratives with the capital C, but it's really more broadly about collaboration. And our argument is that, you know, for 20 years, competition was the kind of big idea in the health service and other parts of the public sector. And we think about competition. There are, you know, there are whole economics departments focused on competition, competition, law, competition authorities, expertise in competition, yet when we talk about collaboration, we don't yet have the kind of fully worked through understood kind of battery of methodologies and skills that we need to make collaboration work. So if we are fundamentally shifting from a competitive mindset to a collaborative mindset, we need to think, we need to know what are those skills, what are those processes, what are those techniques to make it work. But but Richard, going back to a, a, a something you intimated a few moments ago, you've been in this kind of business of with with greater devolved powers. Now going back to twenty fifteen, uh, you know, helping to accomplish with with George Osborne at that stage a kind of shift in the way that the centre worked. But have you found that that the centre kind of gets it? So we we published a paper uh, um, last week. By Sir Chris Hamm. And and basically he, he argued that, that the center needs to change if systems are to work. And and my experience of the center is that is that whilst there is a commitment to system working, it's far from clear that everybody in the center gets it. So a kind of system-first mindset is far from ubiquitous at the center. And still many people, whether it's in DHSC or NHSE or number 10, still have this kind of, I want something, so I'll pull a lever and make it happen mindset. Now, you must have been dealing with this for many years where there are bits of Whitehall that kind of get the devolution argument and bits that, that, that don't. Have you? H- how have you worked, how have you managed to, to to get things done in that kind of context?
1: I think there are large amount, amounts of Whitehall that don't get uh, devolution uh, still. If we switch slightly from uh, health to the... Uh, Uh, levelling up white paper which I I think uh, Michael Gove probably does have a very good understanding of what's required in levelling up uh, terms and one of the challenges for him is the extent to which he can take his colleagues in cabinet uh, with him and uh, I'd say that the white paper shows that there is a long way to go to take his colleagues uh, uh, with him but yeah uh, Department for Education, Department for Works and Pension uh, still appear to be Pretty resistant to devolution and doing things in a more joined up, uh, joined up way, and those are, are pretty fundamental to uh, what we need to do in the long term. And we, uh, unusually, this is a, a process, a program that is a very long-term pro program, and that's that's where we need to be. Uh, you asked a question about how we get around it, uh, and it, it's something I think we've done uh, in Greater Manchester for. Uh, quite a long time now, certainly going back to 2008, 2009, probably back to even further than that, is to have uh, evidence-based long-term plans, normally 10 years plans, not inflexible, because a lot can happen in uh, 10 years. And then, uh, effectively, what we, we do is to... Uh, whatever happens to be the government program at the time, work out how we can use that to deliver our long term plan. So if government doesn't do long term integrated planning, uh, we kind of do it for them.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's right, Richard. And I think that it, it, would you? I mean, it, it, it's going to be great working with you through our ICS network. And I. I wonder whether one of the things you'll want to share with your colleagues is that, in a sense, you've just got to kind of grab the initiative yourself. You, you can't wait for the centre to give you permission. W- w- is that one of the lessons?
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I can remember a, a debate in meetings with local authority and let leaders around what became the Northern Independent Economic uh, re- Review. really impressive piece of work done I think probably back in sixteen. 2016 17. But I was meeting with local authority leaders saying we need government to tell us what we can do. And no, I said no, you need to decide yourself what it is you need to do and then find a way of way of doing it. And yeah, there was, uh, it, it, it might be that after probably you know, 30, 40 years of increased centralization, that uh, some of the get up and goes being knocked out of a lot of local government, but actually, local government, lo- who are the Standard bearers for localism, for uh, for place, they need that get up and go. But I think in Greater Manchester, uh, we've we've got that back some time ago, and uh, really are determined to make decisions uh, about our place. If you go back to the health devolution deal, which was always a partnership with government, it was it was n- never just government saying hey, get on with it. It's uh, and it was a mixture of devolution and decentralisation uh, in in reality, uh, but. What underpinned that was not that we expected to make all the decisions about everything, but there will not be decisions being made about Greater Manchester that we were not party to, that we were not part of those decisions. That's where we need to be.
0: Yeah, and, and that's a big shift in the health service. So if you take that idea and you say the future has to be one in which ICSs are not required to do things to their populations without being involved in the determination of that policy. I mean, that is not where we are now. Policy emerges almost continuously from the centre. And the first people know about it is is when they read about it in the health service journal or whatever. So it is a big journey. And I think that, you know, from our perspective, on the one hand, what's great, the great opportunity of ICS is 42 experiments where leaders can really learn from each other, where different ICSs can focus on different priorities and, and generate shared knowledge tools and understanding for each other. But the other is that we can turn this group of 42 chairs and chief executives into a really cohesive group to 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 help train central government, as it were, into how it has to operate if system working is going to be successful. Richard, before we finish, I just want to turn to a couple of more kind of core issues for you as, as you are now a health leader. So uh, just the first is, you know, obviously you've been presiding in various ways uh, during COVID and during the vaccination programme. I'm interested t- to know what you think are the lessons that we should derive. We all hope we are now last, at last emerging from COVID. What do you think are the lessons that we should derive from the last two years? One is that
1: uh, collaboration, mutual aid works. Uh, that uh, So as something to underpin the way we go forward, that uh, uh, those lessons of collaboration are work that we need to take over, uh, I think the second is there is, a, a, through COVID, a recognition uh, that every part of the system is equally important. Without it, then thing, things don't, don't work. And uh, I think it's been particularly the case that my colleagues in the acute sector have a, uh, an understanding and appreciation of uh, adult care, for example that they didn't have uh, previously because discharge, the the end of the patient journey, has become such a crucial part of how we've managed uh, or, or needed to manage COVID. So I think that understanding that every part has a part to play is, is crucial and we need to keep that uh, going, the notion of equality between the different bits of the of the system. But I think the, the third bit, and this I think will only come out through a proper uh, analysis, if you look at uh, elements of... Uh, how we've tackled COVID. Um, uh, Test and trace is the most most obvious example. There has to be a balance between uh, national action, national decision-making, and local action, local decision-making. And it's pretty clear to me that most of the time we didn't get that balance uh, right and we could have had even better responses if we had got that uh, balance right. And that does come back to uh, that uh, uh, fundamental issue, which is we're not expecting the uh, NHS nationally or national systems simply say here you are 42 of you just get on with it I think they do have a role to play we, we don't for example want 42 different vaccination policies in, in England that would not work uh, so I think there is a lot of learning from Covid about what is genuinely national what is genuinely local and being able to operate in that way.
0: Yeah no I agree and I think that the lesson from the vaccination programme is that that kind of hoary old kind of dichotomy between central control and local discretion is blown apart because actually what you saw in the vaccination programme is a really, really powerful national infrastructure, particularly when it came to kind of uh, data and supply and all those things. But actually the delivery relied upon uh, the, the the capacity of, of of local authorities, voluntary sector, community organisations being able to reach out into the community, particularly those communities that were that were vaccine resistant. So I think it was a great example of how you need to get both sides of this right. Um, Final question, Richard, and one that I think is a really pressing one everywhere, which is we've talked a lot, you and I, about the desire to kind of achieve a a deep shift in the way we think about health, to think about health policy in broader terms, to, to move to a focus on outcomes rather than activity, to tackle health inequalities, all of these issues. Yet, The really pressing issues in the health service are the elective backlog, uh, is the kind of state of of crisis in our emergency care system, delayed discharge. How do we deal with these immediate and pressing short-term issues in ways that don't drive out our capacity to achieve that longer-term shift that we've talked about, Richard?
1: I think in terms of uh, delayed uh, discharge, this will continue to be a long-term problem until we resolve, properly fund, properly staff, properly invest in staff within uh, social care and until we do that it will be an ongoing ongoing problem and we're clearly a long way away from that uh, still so uh, there is a fundamental to be tackled there uh, I and mean, in terms of elective backlogs apart from I know it's something you've talked about, the, the need for a, uh, a long term, medium term people plan around uh, this, clearly it, it does need to be long term, but it's not going to deal with the elective backlog as it uh, is. We're going to have to do that with the staff we've got or the staff we can get uh, relatively quickly. And that does imply uh, the things like establishing uh, the various described as the, the green centres or the cold uh, centres where you're able to do uh, relatively volume work without it being disrupted either by uh, pandemics or being disrupted by uh, ED work. has got to be part of the way you Forward, and uh, that does mean uh, being able to basically relocate particular services into particular places. That does actually give a real issue about access to services, particularly for people who are public transport uh, dependent. And I think there is a real challenge there, but again, it says that means it has got to be joined at work with uh, transport authorities in order to be able to address those uh, issues. It's not just going to be uh, ambulances moving people around to. Uh, to solve those uh, those problems, so I know from the work in Greater Manchester, and I'm sure there are parallels elsewhere, uh, that our uh, acute provider uh, collaborative, uh, in the middle of last year, developed a, uh, an, an accelerator problem, uh, an accelerator program for dealing with the elective backlog. It requires a relatively low amount of capital investment, probably about 140 million for the whole of greater manchester so uh, in the scale of things it's not a vast am- amount but with that they'll be able to increase uh, elective capacity by around 30 percent not just on a temporary b- basis but on a permanent basis so going back to what i mentioned earlier about getting those knee and hip operations early that may be in on the back of that in three or four years we're able to start getting those uh, knee and hip operations early so look i, I think this, uh, the people with expertise have got really coherent plans about what they they can do, what we need to do, and this does require national decision making. I'm afraid it, they need, and the treasury needs to get behind those plans properly.
0: Yeah, It seems to me, Richard, that one of the disciplines we need to operate in is, is what my friend David Albury calls split screen thinking, which is which is having a vision of where we want to end up, but then making decisions in the short term, those immediate issues in ways which align with that longer term vision that, that, that we've got. But you need the long term vision in order because it will shape the short term choices that you make. Well, Rich, look, it's been great talking to you. And I'm really looking forward to working with you through the ICS network in the months and years to come. Thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Health on the Line from the NHS Confederation. Visit nhsconfed.org for more information about us. And to register for events and webinars that delve deeper into the issues explored in this podcast. And save the date for NHS Confed Expo, the premier event in the health and care calendar, taking place on the 15th and 16th of June 2022 in Liverpool.